Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 176 of the Momenting Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse, and I'm so excited to have you with me for another episode of the show. Got a great episode for you. Um, and in case you're wondering why my voice is so raspy, well, man, I just got myself a cold now, didn't I? I uh, have been working pretty damn hard the past couple months and uh, I think uh, it just all kind of came to a head and uh, I got a cold on my way to Ottawa this weekend because I had a, a speaking engagement at Carleton University and oh man, it was I mean, I had a great time in Ottawa. It was amazing. I also was able, lucky enough, and able to um, do kind of an unofficial meetup uh, with some of my wonderful podcast listeners. I posted a photo on my Instagram if you want to check it out. Also, of course, uh, there to speak to uh, a wonderful group of students at Carleton University uh, about post-grad game plan, what you should know about money after you graduate, things that I wish I knew, mistakes I don't want make other people to make. So it was an amazing time in Ottawa, but I feel like I didn't really get to see too much of Ottawa because when I wasn't um, either like at that meetup or doing my speaking gig, I was just in bed watching like Harry Potter or something. I just, yeah, could not get out of bed. And of course, uh, luck would have it. Right after my speaking thing at Carleton, uh, me and my husband uh, were, got back into her car. We stayed a couple nights in Ottawa, but that night we just wanted to head back home. And so we uh, took the long four-hour drive back to Toronto and completely lost my voice. So it was the weirdest experience to like, I don't know, I, I guess I talk a lot, probably, because I don't... I wanted to speak so many times in the car and I couldn't because there was nothing that, it just hurt too bad and there was nothing that would come out being silent for four hours it's not as easy as I thought it would be so anyways so that's me that's what I've been up to um but luckily I did not have a cold when I recorded this interview with my next guest Sam Safe he is the founder and CEO of Purpose Investments and if you're like me you probably and you know fly Air Canada you'll always see his ads his wonderful pers- Purpose Investment ads so I definitely kind of fangirled a little bit but he is basically the just like the perfect person to have on the show to really get into the nitty gritty to talk about investing. And I've been getting a lot of uh, feedback from you listeners to get more um, people on the show to talk investing. So I know you're going to love this episode. But before I get to this episode, just a few words from this uh, episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by CoPower Green Bonds. Looking for a sustainable way to invest in fixed income without sacrificing high returns? then CoPower Green Bonds may be the investment solution you're looking for. Investing in clean energy projects throughout Canada is a great way to put your money to work while making a measurable impact on the environment. Let me break down how this works for you. You buy CoPower Green Bonds, and that money is used to fund clean energy projects and energy efficiency projects that reduce carbon and generate steady revenues. Revenues that are used to pay Canadian investors like you. How much do you earn on these bonds, you may be wondering? For a four-year bond, you'll earn 4% annually, and for a six-year bond, you'll earn 5% annually. The only thing is, there's a limited supply of green bonds left. If you're interested in investing this year, don't miss out. To learn more, visit greenbonds.ca. Once again, that's greenbonds.ca. Thank you, Sam, for joining me on the Mo Money Podcast. I'm excited to chat with you. Great to be here. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I don't know if we actually met, but I remember the first time I saw you speak, and I think it was about investing, was I think it was back in 2013, you spoke at the one of the first Canadian personal finance conferences. 
That was a long time ago. <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, you know, I get busy with a lot of things in my life, but um, being out and talking to investors and, and speaking about uh, uh, both the principles of, of you know, kind of uh, bias and, and, and investing, but also uh, individually just thinking about, you know, the things that we should be doing right and, and, and focusing on it. It's just one of my favorite things. And so I always tell the team here that if I could spend, uh, if I could kind of restructure my, my schedule and have other people run everything and I could just be out talking to clients and to market, it would be one of my favorite things and the best jobs in the world. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like, yeah, at that point, I really had no idea about anything about investing. So I'm like, wow, that guy sounds smart. Uh, <laughs> fast forward a couple of years. Now I can actually have a conversation with you about investing. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad that I uh, helped you with some foundational work. Yes, it definitely gave me some homework. I'm like, I need to look into whatever the hell that guy said. Um, also, loving your Air Canada ads. Every time on a flight, I see your ads. You know, it's funny. I, uh, you know, you get you get branded a fair amount on this one. Uh, it, it, it's very effective advertising. It is. In a way, um, uh, you know, but uh, I, I now go around and everyone calls me the Air Canada guy, and so <laughs> I have to sort of start to um, uh, explain that I'm just the actor in the in the advertising, and they kind of you know let me run this company thereafter. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, now I kind of just every time I see your ads, I associate you with Air Canada, which I love. I don't know. Well, it's a good, it's a good go thing. The Air Canada guy from you. <laughs> um, so for people that uh, may not know who you are, maybe they're new to the kind of the financial space, um, I would love to kind of get to know you a little bit more and just kind of your background, how you were, are able to now be, I, I swear when I was doing some Google searches on you, there's one article and the heading was, you're the king of ETFs. I don't know if you know about this, but that's a quite, that's quite the nice title. So how, how, where did you start? How did you get to this point in your career? Sure. Um, so I, uh, I mean, you know, go back, uh, to, you know, I was, uh, I'm an immigrant to the country, but, but, um, you know, kind of had really strong ambition, uh, in my life to, to make a mark and, uh, went into, uh, engineering as an undergrad and then decided I didn't want to be an engineer. And, uh, you know, originally I actually wanted to be an architect and, uh, you know, and, and that principally, uh, it does come back to some of the things I've done in my career, but, but, um, you know, I love the idea of building and creating, uh, you know, innovation and, and driving change. And so that's where I think a large part of that desire for architecture came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, what I did out of post-university uh, was I joined um, an investment banking dealer, RBC, uh, you know, and, and, and really started to drive um, uh, an awareness and a knowledge towards financial services as a whole um, and uh, got to know the financial services industry very intimately, the asset management industry quite well from my client base. Um, and then just got that itch. Uh, I was 28 years old and uh, sort of said to myself that, you know, I didn't want to be a banker for life. And so, so decided, okay, well, what, what do I want to do? And, and um, you know, one idea came to me that let's go build a, an investment company. And, and I'd never run a business before, but, but I had really interesting vantage point. I had covered um, a number of the largest asset management companies in the world and, and got to know the, the space intimately in, in the mid-2000s. And I also had covered um, Barclays, uh, which ran the iShares, or back then in Canada, the iUnits uh, business. So, you know, the, the, the one of the first ETF players and kind of really saw the trends towards indexing and, and ETFs in general. And kind of got a little um, excited about uh, the opportunity. And so I started my first company, Claymore. And, and 
uh, kind of jumped out on my own and, and built this thing. And, and uh, I didn't, uh, I guess I'd have a lot of history, but uh, thought, um, you know, I think there's a better way to do this. And, and mm-hmm. so what led to kind of the, the, the business plan on, on it was around the time that I decided to leave, um, you know, I was really struggling with, as much as I love the principles of indexing and ETFs, mm-hmm. what I was struggling with was, you know, I didn't like the way the, the market cap indexes were created. And so I was really kind of of the view that there's some principles here that are important, but I don't like the, the model. Mm. I came across a, a wonderful research report in 2004 written by an unbelievably important person to me. Um, uh, at the time, I didn't know it, but, but became a strong friend and mentor, uh, a gentleman named Rob Arnott. And he built it basically on this idea of um, non-market cap weighted fundamental indexing. And it was an idea that he built a research report around from an academic perspective. So I honestly read this report as a geeky engineer <laughs> and, uh, and said, this is it. And I picked up a phone. I called Rob Cold and uh, flew down to Pasadena. At the time, I didn't really appreciate it, but Rob was a pretty big thing. Uh, flew down to Pasadena and, uh, and the rest is history. Came out of that day with real clarity on the future of investing and the future state of how to build an investment company. And I started my first company that way. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive. I know you just said it in a very like, here's a summary of kind of like how that all started. But I'm like, that's not many people could just like, and then I just started an investment company, no big deal. And it was one of the first ETF companies. And then you eventually sold that company to BlackRock. Is that correct? That's right. So Claymore uh, was, um, you know, uh, it was it wasn't as easy as 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 I just outlined it. But (laughs) building it um, in the end was a really wonderful success. We we, um, you know, Again, you don't you don't think about these things when you start a business, but but we help change an industry quite meaningfully, and I think we're seeing today more than ever the the effects of the change that we created. Uh, and um, you know, but but ultimately, after a number of years, uh, as we grew to about eight billion in assets in seven years, so the fastest mm-hmm. industry. And then um, and then uh, you know, I had a partner in the business, a financial partner, and you know, after a number of years of just discussions, it just made sense for they, they wanted to get liquidity and. You know, it made sense to, to sell it. And it was hard for me because I built my baby and was really passionate. And, you know, to me, I, I would actually, I wouldn't, if you Googled me, I wouldn't say I was Mr. ETF. I'd say I was uh, Mr. Claymore more than anything else. That's what I, my identity was. And so it was a hard thing to sell. But, but what, what I learned through that process was a, a really important um, uh, education about when you do something really special and you're smart and you can kind of, you know, build great credibility, um, you can go back and do it again. And, and that's mm. to build my new company, Purpose. When did you start Purpose? And, and what was your, um, what did you want to do differently with this new company? So it's a really great question. So I started it um, close to about a year after the sale. And you can probably guess why that, that happened. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but I took, a, I took the year off to kind of really stop and think. And, um, but one of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, when I decided to do this, I have a strong sense that you know, you shouldn't just go do something and, and kind of slightly iterate around it. Um, you know, you got to go out and say, can you really make a big difference? Can you kind of, what, what Google likes to term, uh, can you 10x something? And uh, in our industry, 10xing is really hard, but, but you know, I felt that um, we needed to do something meaningfully because I'd already built Claymore and I could, mm. uh, that company would now existed and, and it's now owned actually by such an impressive organization, BlackRock. And so I had to do something that was really even more impressive. So the big thing that I learned um, through the years, as much as, you know, I kind of use that example of, you know, um, uh, meeting Rob Arnott and, and kind of thinking about indexing. Um, and, you know, when I started naively my first 
company, I, I, I assumed the role of an investment company was go out and beat the markets, you know, mm-hmm. build investment products that could beat the markets. And so I did. Uh, and, and I said, okay, how do you best beat the markets? Well, you know, if you do the mathematics on it, you, you come up with a strategy that um, is disciplined, uh, takes the best of active and passive together and uh, has a, a, you know, an attractive low cost uh, fee against it. And by doing those things married together, you can, you know, over time, slowly migrate towards the top quartile and top decile performance uh, versus benchmarks. And we did that at Claymore. It was really powerful. But, you know, when I realized uh, we went through, you know, my business straddled the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, as much as, you know, our funds were some of the really great performing funds over five years and seven years, we went down with the markets in 2008 uh, and nine, uh, the same as the market. So if the market was down whatever 35%, we were down 33%. Uh, and you know, some money managers would argue that, hey, we beat the market. But in my opinion, we made clients really uncomfortable. Uh, we, we had uh, people selling at the wrong time emotionally, buying at the wrong time emotionally. And, and what I realized was I didn't really do anything important for the end customer. I created mm-hmm. a product, but I didn't really help the customer meet their long-term goal. And so I said, if I'm going to do this again, I'm going to focus on helping meet liabilities and acting and thinking more like how a pension plan thinks, which is let's help people build better long-term portfolios, focusing on risk management, focusing on yes, returns, but but really helping people focus on what it is they're really investing for, which is they're meeting. They're trying to invest to meet some goals, some liability, some outcome, uh, and and you know I think that as as money managers and manufacturers of mutual funds and ETFs, we have an obligation to think this way and help um, advisors and investors you know kind of build better portfolios, and that's what we've been doing on purpose. But at the same time, to do that with uh, the same kind of core fundamental belief system we had before, which is you have really strong, disciplined investment strategies. Uh, you know, kind of um, keep costs low, and um, and and you know, at the same time, you know, be extremely transparent with with our customer base. And so we've done that, and it's been an amazing experience in building this again over the last five years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would love to get your thoughts because you kind of talked about um, how you don't necessarily. Um, uh, believe in or or subscribe by the idea of like you know indexing, which is seems to be kind of a becoming more popular, which I'm a big fan of, just because it's a big leap from uh, people you know doing actively managed mutual funds, paying really high fees, still not really having a clear idea of what they're investing in. So with all these kind of robo advisors or more information about how to actually buy ETFs yourself through a discount brokerage, so people can kind of um, become DIY investors. What are your kind of thoughts on? Um, just this trend, it feels like it could just because I'm in a bit of a bubble. Uh, but I feel like more and more people are, are kind of understanding a little bit more about investing and specifically like this index strategy. And what were your kind of thoughts on that? So, so first and foremost, please don't get me wrong. Like I love, mm. love what the principles of what indexing have done mm-hmm. for the consumer and for investors. And I, I, I um, have built a large part of my thesis on the same principles. And but what makes mm-hmm. really powerful is the fact that um, one, um, they have some discipline around their investment process and so set of rules and, and so they don't let emotions of investment management kind of dictate. They're diversified, 
but but also that they keep their costs really low. And and you know that that you you touched upon that point, which is against high cost mutual funds, against high cost advice models and things like that. You know, most investors the the odds are stacked against them. Unfortunately, you know, and uh, uh, you know, no question, optimizing and, and reducing fees is a very important thing. That said, though. I also believe that um, we need to step back for a moment and have some perspective. And so one of the things, so, so just as a side point, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, you may not be know it, but I, I co-founded a firm called Well Simple. So I really do believe in being uh, grilled, mm. strong, diversified portfolios. I don't think I knew that you co-founded Well Simple. So oh. I did that with a, a, a gentleman named Michael Katchen and mm-hmm. believed in the vision of, of how do you create an unbelievably important um kind of uh, service for uh, consumers who want to both start investing, but also long-term want to be engaged in, in, in the markets, but don't need uh, necessarily uh, a full heavy, uh, you know, advice hand. So, you know, I think advice is extremely important. And one of the things that I've always believed is that do you yourself investors actually oftentimes struggle to do it. And so um, having a, uh, a guided portfolio strategy, whether it's with a full service advisor or with a uh, robo, is actually something that's really important. And so we, mm. we built that business on that basis. But so I really fundamentally believe in this. And costs mm-hmm. are important to all of those models. But um, I also believe that you have to have the perspective of, of time. And so then what I mean by that, you know, um, the last 35 years in investing have been an unbelievably um, uh, lucrative period for for the for for investors, uh, and uh, it has also been a very and, and, and that's driven because as as uh, many uh, people may know, but but many younger people may not, is that interest rates in the 1980s were in the high teens uh, and have precipitously come down uh, to you know uh, at some points close to zero as you know and, and have slowly been sort of creeping up but but effectively we have some of the lowest interest rates in historical in history of you know, hundreds of years today and so that period of the, the last 35 years has been uh, has benefited from an amazing um, declining interest rate environment which has sort of helped self-correct all different types of risks and market corrections and things of like that whenever they've we've had a bad time markets kind of you know, interest rates helped get people back on the same page because interest rates got cut and, and equity markets went back up, you know, post-2000, post-2000, mm-hmm. all the rest of it. And so for that reason, indexing uh, and optimization of fees has been the best and most optimal way to to invest in that, in that trailing environment. Problem is mm-hmm. that when you look at a time t- time today going forward, our view is that um, investing is going to become more difficult, and uh, you know what I mean by that is, um, it, you know, the, the beta markets, uh, the long indexing, is actually going to start to really challenge because when I look at first indexing in bonds, fixed income, um, you know, fixed income is one of the most difficult and challenging parts of the market today, and I think that most people are going to really have. Um, unfortunately, low and 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 bad returns from fixed income over the next five to ten years, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because of interest rates being so low and and also the risk of bonds relative to the return not being attractive. And then mm-hmm. on the other side, on equities, although equities generally um, over the long long period uh, do perform well, we are at a time when equity returns are you know at the tail end of one of the great bull markets. Um, you know, nine-year bull market. We're in our tenth year, 
And, um, you know, I'm a reversionist and I believe that future returns are going to be dictated by historical returns. And so therefore, if you believe that we're coming off one of the great historical returns of equities, you know, my future expected return in equities for the next 10 plus years are likely going to be dampened. And mm -hmm. so those two together in a balanced portfolio, what, what most people would think is like a 60-40 portfolio or a balanced portfolio, most people's returns over the next 10 years could be quite um, depressing. Mm. And so, yes, optimizing for fees and, and all the rest is great, but, but you know, it still isn't going to get most people to the return that they need. So I just think that investors need to have the discipline of thinking like an index investor and focus on um, in, uh, caring about costs uh, around the, the fringe, but, but also focusing on strategy and outcome uh, more than anything else. Okay, so what if someone, so you're kind of warning against some, some p possible things that could happen if you do follow the indexing. What should people do, I guess, to kind of counter this? How can they kind of maybe protect um, their investments? Well, well, first and foremost, I think, you know, I think, I think um, it all comes down to when you say protect investments, yeah. I think more about well, structuring properly mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. for, or, uh, you know, any investor who's not in the stage of uh, at retirement or, or really, really close to retirement, your number one focus right now should be in accumulating wealth through savings. And so what does that mean? Um, you know, from the day you get your first pay paycheck or if you haven't already, uh, you know, start with your next paycheck is creating a systematic savings program uh, from, from your paycheck to a savings and investment account. You should do that, um, you know, uh, as, as, as regularly uh, as, as every paycheck, and if, if you can, even more. Um, the younger you are, um, you know, you should be trying to save 15 to 20% of your paycheck. Uh, if you start later, uh, you should be saving more, uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And so those are, that's a very simple, basic thing. The mm -hmm. second then you should do is then when you with the money what do you do well that's when you go uh you work with uh, either a online wealth advisor uh like a robo platform like well simple or other or you go to a advisor if you have a large enough sum that you can start with an advisor uh you know that is a full service advisor or if you have the confidence you can start on your own and build your own portfolio and um and in building that portfolio you what you want to focus on is again know cost uh you know make sure that you've got an attractive fee and, and what i mean by that is you don't want to be paying two and a half three percent mm -hmm. you know anything that's in the sort of one percent or less is is, is is quite attractive uh and, and range bound that's sort of what you should kind of generally expect and then at the second thing is you should be focusing on portfolio construction and so just like any other thing you want to buy fundamentally good assets uh you know so if you buy etfs um you know understand what the underlying strategy does how we invest the money, you know, for example, you know, don't just aimlessly buy an index because it's, you know, it's cheap. Mm -hmm. Go and understand, hey, you know, what is, if I put a dollar into this, what does that dollar actually invest into and how does it invest? And would I, if I was running the same thing myself, invest the same way? Ask mm -hmm. yourself those questions. And I know it's a bit of work, but, you know, again, this is your money. You should, you should care. And, and, um, and so, you know, my view is that you you want to you want to pay attention to these things and, and you know understand it. And my thesis today is that, as I said, you know, I think that a passive portfolio in the its most simplest form uh, will actually have some some challenges ahead. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think you can get very close to the same um, concept of 
investing in really strong investment uh, products, low cost, but but you know kind of adding in some thinking around fundamentals or active thinking around uh, fixed mm-hmm. income specifically to help kind of navigate some of the risks uh, that, that you'd normally see in, um, in, in, in the index world right now. Mm. Um, I recently uh, read an article, you were uh, featured in the Globe and Mail, and you were kind of uh, talking about this idea that you believe eventually in the future, um, ETFs may become obsolete. Uh, a lot of this had to do with um, uh, kind of the popularity of cryptocurrency and just, you know, we don't even know what's going to happen in the future with cryptocurrency. Do you want to speak a little bit about that and what your kind of thoughts on that are? I think that's very interesting, very like future thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, I get, um, I, I think that that was somewhat mis. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. It was a very good clickbaity title. I'll tell you. <laughs> a ton of attention. Um, so, so let me kind of step back and explain what I what I think is the way I think. Um, mm. I, I, I'm a forward thinking person. I always uh, am a big thinker. I, I try to envision the future state of, of any business of any markets. And as I talk about these issues, I'm you know I'm, I, I think about you know the five year forward problems, not the what what does the last ten years look like? Because that already happened, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things that when I started Purpose, um, you know, I've been always pushing my team on is what are the technologies and what are the innovations that are going to um, make ETFs obsolete, or mm. you know, are you going to improve upon the work that ETFs have done against mutual funds, for example? And so, you know, as you know, uh, or maybe some of your mm-hmm. listeners uh, know. Um, ETFs were created not by mutual fund companies. Mm. You know, traditional mutual fund companies in the 1990s, you know, the Fidelities of the world and the, you know, Franklin Templetons and the, in Canada, the CIs and, you know, the, the big, big, you know, players, you know, they were happy uh, and fat, uh, you know, managing big active mutual funds with big management fees. And a bunch of outsiders, you know, players like Barclays, uh, and um, State Street and uh, Wisdom Tree and you know my company Claymore, you know these are the firms that on the outside looked in and said, hey, we can come up with a better model, and they created the ETF structure. And today, you know, the ETFs of, of course are uh, an optimal model for investors and and are being utilized by you know all types of investors, institutions, retail, everybody, and it's been amazing. And now you know, call it thirty years on. Um, the mutual fund companies have started to act more and launch ETFs and recognize mm-hmm. the, the structural advantage and, and use them. So, you know, it's great, but but it wasn't invented by the incumbent. Mm-hmm. My argument has always been to say, for that same reason as an ETF company today ourselves, you know, the like whatever is going to be ETF 3.0, the next iteration, the thing that's going to kind of make our product even better uh, is not likely going to be invented by ETF companies. It's going to be invented by outsiders, people who are looking in and saying, I can do that better. Mm. And, but as an innovator, I've always sort of said, we need to be thinking about this and we need to be the ones who are open-minded to the fact that um, you know, we may not have the best optimal model long-term. And so I've been stressing this to my team. And so you know, we constantly are in search of that kind of vehicle or that structure that's going to help. And we have ideas of what that is in the future and, and all the rest of it. But that's how we as, an, as a firm stay on top of our toes and, and uh, as opposed to back on our heels. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the areas that I've been, call it, curious about, uh, and I started to, you know, just like most people, you know, two years ago, uh, when I heard the word Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I was, you know, very 
passive on it. I'd, you know, I'd kind of dismiss it. I'd say that this is just some kind of fad or scam or whatever it be. But, you know, when I actually started to, you know, recognize that I actually knew very little about it, but mm-hmm. uh, I started to do some research on it and I started to get fascinated about the technology behind it. I, you've, you've probably heard about, of course, mm-hmm. how we know is blockchain and mm-hmm. blockchain technology. And I actually started to recognize that there's some really amazing, profound elements to that technology. And so, um, you know, I kind of pushed my team to step back and say, guys, like there's something here that could be interesting, but it's still years and years and years away. But the idea of it could, could have a profound impact on some of the principles of how you know, money management could be changed. And I'm not talking about currency, cryptocurrency stuff and managing cryptocurrency. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the settlement and, and technology of blockchain that allows you to effectively run you know, products uh, and, and potentially manage money even cheaper than we do today, mm. which is very, very unique, again, to help uh, reduce the cost to clients. And so, um, so we started to pay a lot more attention to it. Uh, in the last year, we became even more curious about it. We made some investments ourselves into certain areas um, and, and technology players. And then, um, you know, about six months ago, nine months ago, we made a decision that we needed other people to, we felt that everyone should have a seat at this table. And so we actually created a, a vehicle uh, uh, called uh, Ether Capital that um, uh, we assembled a really profound and amazing group of partners uh, to, uh, to to partner with us on to really go out and um, give people uh, in the public an, an access point mm-hmm. to what we think is um, the blockchain technology opportunity over the next five to ten years. And, uh, and we created Ether Capital as a, as a very unique startup technology company, and it trades on the, on the exchange uh, in Canada. Uh, and it's the first pure play um, Ether, Ethereum-based uh, vehicle in the world. So very unique concept. And, um, but but to, to that point, um, you know, we, we think that um, there's going to be many different iterative technologies out there that could be disruptive to mm-hmm. management, to ETFs, and to help investors uh, even do better. And, um, you know, as a firm, we're focused on how do we help drive that change and lead that change as opposed to always being, uh, you know, kind of waiting for somebody else to do it. Yeah. Sounds like some exciting things, scary slash exciting things in the future. And I think kind of like the the big message I'm I'm kind of feeling from our conversation is um, it's important to, of course, know what's going on right now, but I guess uh, keep informed. Like investing isn't one of those things that you know it all and then you can just live your life. You kind of have to continue to kind of inform yourself because uh, th- these new things keep popping up. I, I It's incredible just how much has changed in the past 10 years uh, in terms of investing. Lots of the investing books out there kind of you know you can't use them to you know as a guidebook anymore you have to um well, kind of do your own research these days i disagree i disagree with a couple things there only mm. i don't want to i don't want to make anybody feel like it's scary and all the rest of it i actually mm. avoid that you know what i what i would say is this look um there's a couple of core principles that are really important so so first is that investing isn't hard it's mm. it, you need to kind of set a set of rules for yourself and what I mean by that is, what is it you want to be as an investor? So, um, uh, you know, great example. Um, if I'm 25 years old and I'm a professional, uh, maybe I'm a lawyer. You know, over the next um, over the next 30, 50 years of my career, I'm going to make my money not by investing. But I'm going to make my money by being a great uh, lawyer. I'm going to mm-hmm. be, you know, my career. I'm investing in my career is going to basically help me increase my salary, my income. 
uh, and then my savings rate, uh, and then you know more and more of my savings is going to go into the markets, and, and, and I'm going to compound that. Um, the, the, the kind of lack of perception there is that most people think that they get rich by investing, and, and what actually it is, you get you get rich by kind of uh, having a discipline around saving mm-hmm. and investing in your career and yourself and your opportunity of of increasing your kind of long-term incentive and compensation and opportunity that way and then having more of a savings. What what investing does is augment all that. And then having a set of rules around how you kind of invest is very important. So, you know, one of the biggest risks in investing is not the markets per se. It's actually mm. you and me as, an, as individuals. We are mm. emotional and we make bad decisions. We chase trends. We get emotional when things are, you know, going down. We... Mm-hmm listen to our friends at the golf course. <laughs> we, uh, we get caught up in, uh, you know, insecurities and, and regret. Um, you know, when we buy a stock at, at, at a hundred dollars and it goes down to $50, we think that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wait till it goes back to a hundred before I sell it. Um, and oftentimes that never happens. And, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of biases in that. And so mm-hmm. one of the things about having a discipline about investing is that it can help you avoid your human cognitive biases and, and stick to a set of rules. And that's what, by the way, you know, indexing and, and advice yeah. help you do is, is avoid those emotions. But, but the other part of it is, is that, you know, investing is not something that is new, like meaning there are, there are like when I talked about, for example, the last 35 years being different, um, mm. very exciting for investors and making people, you know, really great lucrative returns. You know, if I, you know, when I go back a hundred years, Returns also have been very strong lucrative mm-hmm. for investors, but there's also been many periods where it's been challenging and, and they go through stretches and, you know, and, and, and they're different types of experiences, but, but the core principles of how to make money, mm-hmm. you know, a hundred years ago, 50 years ago and, and 30 years ago, ultimately remain the same, which is buy you know, strong fundamental assets that perform well, you know, keep your costs low and build a diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the kind of things that, um, you know, when you talk about reading important books and stuff, you know, I, I actually believe that every investor should read, you know, Benjamin Graham's books, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, understand um, these types of principles because, you know, those are the types of things that help you actually understand what investing is all about and how to make money and, you know, why you do it. And then the rest of it is actually how you decide to, to execute on it, whether you buy ETFs or you buy active money management, or you find an advisor to do asset management for you or whatever it be. And uh, yeah. I think it's all, all about the discipline, the rules, and the, and the fact that you're doing it that matters more than anything else. And then the rest is how do you construct your portfolio and, and how do you achieve your long-term goals? Absolutely. And just experience and just, and, and taking the, the plunge. I think, especially when it comes to, um, young people, young investors, even if they have lots of this information in their mind now, it's, it's hard kind of just taking that first step. But like you said, um, you know, it's important to start young. That's the best time to start. So you just have to, you have to just do it. <laughs> do it. Exactly. And, and, um, actually, you're right. I mean, the hardest is the first step. But once you get into a routine and yeah. you actually set up your, your savings account structure so that it basically deposits from your check. Um, and I always say the first job you get, you yeah. should doing it in your first paycheck. And then if you haven't started already, do it on your next paycheck and just start it and um, start with something that you think you can manage and then just keep pushing yourself uh, to, to save more and more. Um, and, and a 20 year old starting should, should always be at the sort of long-term savings rate of about 15% of their, their check um, and as as time goes on, that that increase that will increase if you the later you start. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, if you start at, at 22, you should be at 15% for your whole life. If you start at 30, you should be probably in the 25% range for the rest of your life. I mean, and that's, that's the unfortunate thing of just missing compounding for a long period of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour some, but I'm not going to do that to you. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and sharing your wisdom. Um, I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this episode. You are a wealth of knowledge. I'm excited to see uh, you know, where Purpose Investments and your new um, venture, Ether Capital, will be in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. And it's always a pleasure. And that was episode 176 of the Mo Money Podcast with Sam Safe from Purpose Investments. You can find out more information about him and his company at purposeinvest.com. And of course, you can check out the show notes to learn more about the uh, topics that we talked about in this episode at jessicamorehouse.com slash 176. Um, and make sure to come and check out my website, jessicamorehouse.com. A lot of great stuff on there. I've got a blog, guys. So in case you want to read instead of listen, I've got lots of great info on the blog, share videos, and a lot of uh, news and information. Speaking of, I'm always doing new things, um, which is why I have such a hoarse voice because I've been working myself too hard. But uh, if you want to be in the know of all the things that I'm up to or you know, contests I'm doing or events I'm doing or all that stuff, make sure to get on my email list at jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe. You will not regret it. Okay, I've got uh, a few important things to share, so please do not go away. Here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by CoPower Green Bonds. What's in your investment portfolio? Like, seriously, what kind of companies are you investing in? You may be surprised and, well, not exactly thrilled to see that you're investing in companies that don't actually align with your personal values. Here's one way you can change that. CoPower Green Bonds. A way to invest your money to fund renewable energy and energy efficiency projects in Canada. CoPower was founded in 2013 with a single mission, to unlock capital for climate solutions by empowering Canadians to participate in and profit from the transition to a low-carbon economy. If you're just as concerned about climate change as I am, this is one way you can do something actively about it, while also earning high returns for your financial goals. I'm talking 4 or 5% on your investment. Want to learn more and get started? Then visit greenbonds.ca. Once again, that's greenbonds.ca. Okay, so first things first, very important. This week, my Canadian friends, um, is known as Credit Education Week. So Credit Education Week runs from November 13th to 16th. And basically, it is just a way to kind of um, promote financial literacy awareness, but specifically um, with the topics of, you know, credit management, debt management, all that kind of stuff. And every year there's a new theme. This theme is money mindfulness, which I love. Um, Just a reminder, friendly reminder, we all need to not just be better at money. We need to be more mindful with our money. We need to be more conscious consumers. So, if you're finding that you're having some trouble with your finances, you're, you know, always over shopping, over spending, all that kind of stuff, take a minute, think about it, be more mindful. Do you need this? Is this something that you need? Is this just a want? Is this something you can afford? Is it not something you can afford? And then if it's not something you need, if it's not something that you can afford, put that debit or credit card back in your wallet and just walk away. Just walk away or go to cewc.ca for some more information about Credit Education Week. I think uh, you'll get a lot of info from it. There's also lots of free events happening uh, this week. So all that information is on that website. 
But since I also mentioned Financial Literacy Month, um, that is also, uh, you know, this is why November is my favorite month, Financial Literacy Month. There's some great things going on this month, a lot of great tools that are kind of being launched or promoted more. So this is really a great time to really hunker down and look at your financial life and see how you can improve it. Um, we're gearing up for, you know, December, which is like prime spending time. And then we're back, you know, back into the a new year, January. And why not start working on improving your life before New Year instead of just setting those goals, you know, as New Year's resolutions? Why not start working on it now? And one place that you can uh, find some more information about a Financial Literacy Month, and in case you're wondering, um, I guess kind of the theme for Financial Literacy Month this year is invest in your financial well-being, which I love. Um, so there's a lot of great information on the Government of Canada's website, actually. So if you go Canada.ca. I mean, it's a really long URL. So if you just Google Financial Literacy Month, honestly, that'd probably be easier. Um, but you can find a lot of uh, great info about Financial Literacy Month on there. Also, I want to um, uh, share that the Millennial Money Meetup that I've kind of been talking about for the past couple of weeks, that's going to go down on November 27th in Toronto. It is officially sold out. Sorry, guys. So if you didn't grab your tickets, um, you can still um, register to get on the waiting list because some people can't make it. So um, I can release their tickets to you. So that's always something you, you may want to check out. Just go to millennialmoneymeetup.com for more information on that. Um, but uh, what's really exciting is uh, Fisco is kind of the sponsor for that event, the Financial Services Commission of Ontario. And they just launched a new kind of uh, part of their site all about retirement planning, which I think is amazing. Because especially as younger people, we don't even know where to start. We don't know lots of the questions to ask because retirement is so far into the future. So if you go to Fisco, FS co.gov.on.ca slash retirement. Um, there's really great information on their website about um, retirement planning, pensions, and just setting yourself up early for that kind of financial success in the future. So I know you're going to love it. All right. That is it for me because I can't speak anymore. It's My voice is going. It's going. But I'm going to see you back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode. Can't wait. And uh, if you would be so kind just to take two little baby seconds to give me an iTunes review, I've got a, a couple that I've been saving to do some shout outs for for next episode. So if you want to get those in and get a shout out from me next week, well, please uh, spend two seconds and giving me give me an iTunes review. Let me know what you're uh, thinking about the show. would really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you back here next Wednesday. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.